Hey, good, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, we, got a, we got a song today that we're going to be talking about that comes deep from the B-side of the Bible. And it's a, it's a song that, while forgotten, is one that, that's always kind of resonated with me, and, it, and it's, it's one that I wanted to share all year that we're getting to today. And it revolves around a specific individual that I want to introduce you to today. And here's his name, all right? Doeg the Edomite. So what that means is as we unpack this today, you got to kind of keep your, your radar up for this, all right? You got to kind of track what these things are saying about this guy right here. Don't let his name slip you by and just see how events unfold around him. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you uh, Doeg's story. And then I'm going to share with you the song in the Bible that's written about him and then we'll look at some takeaways that we can glean from it. So I actually want you to follow along on this. And uh, take out a Bible, if you would, and, and open up with me to this, this, this book in the Old Testament that, that tells of Israel's ancient history called 1 Samuel. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 21. It's the first time that we get to meet Doeg the Edomite right here. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the, these guys named um, David. You might know him as King David later on, and, and Saul, who was the king before him. And where we pick up in the storyline is David is going on the run. He's on the lamb. He, he's got to take off because Saul is getting increasingly paranoid, suspicious, unpredictable, and violent. And Saul, who's the king, he wants David dead. He sees David getting more popularity than he is. He sees him getting more favor than he is. The girls like David better, all right? And he can't sleep with it. And it seems like God is even favoring and, and choosing David, and he just can't come to terms with it. And he's like a man possessed. And he wants David dead. And this is where the story picks up at chapter 21. So it says David went. But I'm going to say it this way. David fled. David fled to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Now Ahimelech trembled when he met him, because he knows what's going on. And he asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? His radar is up. He knows something isn't right. Something is off in this. And he knows the consequences of being on the wrong side. So David lied. He lied and he answered him like, and he said this, The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now, a piece of advice I think we can glean from the story right off the bat. If someone comes to you in the middle of the night and your radar is going off and they tell you that they're on a secret mission and that's why they need your help, be on guard, okay? Now, what do you have on hand? Because I've got nothing. 
give me five loaves of bread or or, or whatever else you can find. But the priest answered David, I I don't have any. I I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. The only bread I have is that consecrated bread, that bread that's supposed to be for Yahweh, the bread that's reserved for the priests. There's some of that here. Provided your men have kept themselves from women. And David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. And since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day. Detained before the Lord. Here he is, Doag, the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, Do you have a sword or a spear? Don't you have one here? Because I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. And the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, the one you killed in the valley of Elah, that's here. It's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. And David said, there is none like it, give it to me. And that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, King of Gath, he thought he made it. He thought he got away. He thought it worked. He thought the deception worked. I actually made it. No one saw me. No one heard me. No one's suspicious. Ahimelech is going to save his own neck. I actually made it away. Except for one fly in the ointment. Doeg, the Edomite. Because what David didn't know is that Doeg was there watching. Doeg was there listening. Doeg was there picking up on it all. Every step of the way. Here's David thinking he got away clean, completely unaware that Doeg saw the plan unfold that day. Now, let me introduce you to him. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy named Doeg. Who is he? It seems fundamentally at its root, Doeg is an outsider. He's an outsider. And not an outsider in kind of a cool, rebellious kind of way. He's one of those outsiders who's relegated to the fringe, wishing he was an insider with those people, you know? Those people over there, what's going on there? Every step of the way, it's deep in his roots. He's an Edomite, a family of outsiders. 
Now you can read the story of, of Doag's family line that goes all the way back into Genesis with these people named Jacob and Esau. But what it's fundamentally is, is a story of a group or a person who was once an insider until a fateful day. Gotta ask you, have you ever had a fateful day? Have you ever had one of those days that changed the course of your life and put it on a track, even if you were unaware at that time of which you still live with? Today, you ever have a day, a fateful day? And don't you kind of like realize too, like when you use the word fateful day, it's never like a good day. You know, no one will go, oh yeah, that was a great, fateful day. No, it's that day that if you could go back and do it differently, you would do it in a heartbeat. But you can't. You can't. I mean, we can't go back. And so what you're forced to do is live with what's often the regret, the regret and the consequences of what that fateful day did and how it brought you to where you are today. This is the story of Doag, the Edomite, whose ancestor on a fateful day threw it all away. A fateful day when being the insider, blessed, good life, traded it up in an instant and forever relegated not only himself but his kids and their kids and their kids after them to outsiders looking in. This is the story of the Edomites a group of people on the outside of Israel, just on the cusp, always on the outside, once having been insiders, and now looking in. Doag is a man who wanted to belong. A man who for generation upon generation upon generation was stuck on the outside, wishing, hoping, probably praying. Will they accept me? Can I be a part of them? Maybe they'll like me. Maybe they'll notice me. Maybe someday I can be one of them. And bends himself on a quest of being accepted by Saul and those people of importance in Israel. And it seems like he makes it. He seems like he makes it a little bit. What does it say? This guy, Doeg the Edomite, becomes, catch this, Saul's head shepherd. Wow, right? Yeah, we'll let you hang out with us. Go clean dung off my sheep. And like this little pet, this guy who could be manipulated and used because he's just driven to be loved and accepted by those on the inside, 
finds himself in service to King Saul that day. And what the story shows us is now something happens. Opportunity. Because he saw what went down and now has something valuable. Valuable to the people that he wants to be accepted by. Value to those on the inside. He knows what's going down with David. And it puts him in a, priv- in a, in a position of privilege with the insiders that day. And the story goes on. At chapter 22, it says this. At verse 6, now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul's spear in hand was seated under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, with all his officials standing around him. Saul said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, Will the son of Jesse, that's David, will he give you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of your commanders, make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you've conspired against me? No one tells me when my own son makes a covenant with David, this son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. And there's Doeg, information in hand. Here's his moment, standing with Saul's official, and he pipes up. Look at me. Notice me. I'm important. I've got something you want to know today. I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions. And the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, I saw it. See, I'm important. I'm on the inside track. I can be useful to you. Just notice me. Accept me. Think of me as one of you is important. I've got something to bring. Then the king, in verse 11, sent for the priest, Ahimelech, and his father's whole family, who were the priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. And Saul said, listen now, you son of Ahitub, to which he goes, What is it? Yes, my Lord. And Saul said, why have you conspired against me? You and that son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. But Ahimelech answers the king, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who of all your servants is as loyal as David? What are you talking about? He's the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole 
affair. But the king said, you're dead. You're dead. You'll surely die a him like you and your father's whole family. And the king ordered the guards at his side, turn, kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But they wouldn't do it. The king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. But there's Doeg the Edomite. And the king ordered Doeg, you do it. You who want to fit in, you who want to belong, you who want respect from me, acceptance by me, you who want to be one of us, you do it. You turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle donkeys, and sheep. Because sometimes people want to be loved so much, to be accepted so badly, to be loved and thought of as important. Sometimes people want it so much that they'll do the unthinkable. Welcome to Doeg, the Edomite. To me, it's this utterly tragic story of a person who is willing to do anything, anything just to belong, to matter. Willing to do anything that he even does the unthinkable. And the real tragedy of it that continues to this day is the very thing that he was seeking after. Acceptance with a sense of importance, with a sense of even maybe notoriety and fame. He gets it. Not only in the story right here, he actually gets enshrined into song. Because if you know the story of David and Saul, it doesn't go well for Saul in the end. And David is the one who finds God's favor and is brought to the throne eventually. But you see this guy, David, he's a songwriter. He's a poet. And like songwriters, he writes about fateful days, significant events, things that mattered, things that struck him, things that he had to deal with. And he actually writes a song that you can find in the Bible about this Doeg the Edomite and what he did on that fateful day. 
It's Psalm 52, and it begins like this for the director of music. A mascal, I don't know what that is. It's some kind of musical term, probably, some kind of musical genre. A mascal of David. What's it about? When Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. And look at what David has to say. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? And of course, catch the sarcasm in that, right? It's derogatory. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long? You, Doag, who are a disgrace in the eyes of God. Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You who practice deceit, you love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, O oh, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him and say, here is now the man who did not make strong God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. It's a song to Doag, a man who wanted to be accepted, a man who wanted to be deemed important and enshrined for thousands of years. People sang the mockery of the one who would do anything just to fit in. It's tragic, I mean, isn't it? How the choices and the fateful days created a trajectory for Doag, who thought it finally came to him that one fateful day. All right, some observations on this. First, and I think this is worth mentioning, at some level, I, I've, I've talked with a lot of people, and maybe you're here today, who have struggled with songs and prayers in the Bible like this, songs and prayers that talk about someone being torn down, someone being humiliated, someone being mocked, someone being destroyed even i met a lot of people who struggle with this, uncomfortable with the idea that, that something like this could be in a holy book. Something like this could be considered inspired by God. Something like this could be in his framework. I'll tell you, though, I'll tell you what this song reminds me of. It's Carrie Underwood's song. Um, maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. You know it? All right. Um, for the uninitiated, let me just read you the chorus. You can figure out what the rest is about if you live in a cave and never heard the song. Um, I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive, carved my name into his leather seats. I took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. I slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. I have yet to meet a single human being who goes, oh, Carrie, that's terrible. <laughs> Ever. No, it's like, you go, girl, right? 
all the way. But then God comes along and says the same thing. It's like, oh, God, no, no. How can you feel or, or think things like that? As though God should be above it all. I think we struggle with psalms like this because we think God should be above it all. Which, if you think about it, is really just a nice way of saying this. Unconcerned and uninvolved. Because when you're above it all, you're detached. Otherwise, you wouldn't be above it. And you really don't care. But see, these songs of the Bible are filled with pictures and images of a God who doesn't choose to remain above it all, but a God who comes down into it all, of a God to whom it does matter and a God who does care. It's almost like the psalm should open going, the kingdom of heaven is like Carrie Underwood singing about the day that she was cheated, right? right? This is what it's doing. When people do these kinds of things, the doags of this world get God mad. They hurt him because they hurt others. And it makes it angry. And I've come to discover that when we want God to be above it all, sometimes it's because I think we would prefer God to be distant from it all, unconcerned, uninvolved, and safely removed out there. But that's not the picture that these songs of the Bible bring. It's about a God who does care and comes down into the midst of it all. And even who, who though in his nature may be able to be above it all, instead chooses to be a God in the midst of it all that cares. Another. And, and let's not miss the obvious on this one. Don't be a doag. Don't do it. Just don't. Don't be a doag. Because I promise you, the chances are going to come along in your life when you are going to be able to get ahead, to be noticed. Accepted, loved even, but at a price. And the temptation is going to be there if you find yourself on the outside looking in to sell out other people, to get inside at their expense, or to sell out your own integrity to do something that violates you and who you are, to get noticed by them. Chances to betray a friend, to betray God. I promise you, the days will come when those opportunities will be before you. And in that moment when it looks so good. 
And when you want what's on the inside more than anything else, remember the story of Doag? When that moment comes, don't be a Doag that day. But finally, there's this. I am fully convinced and would put money down that some of you are doags here today. Some of you are people who have gotten ahead or tried to be noticed at someone else's expense, who sold out your own integrity, betrayed something deeply inside of you or Someone close to you betrayed what's good, betrayed what's right, betrayed God. And I would double down on that bet that the reality is probably even greater, that all of us at some level or another have a little bit of doag inside of us here today, that at some level each of us struggle with doagism a bit. Hey, Doag, if you're here today, I've got good news for you. Jesus died for you. He died for you. He died for you and for that fateful day. He died for you and in any of the ways that you might have betrayed He's died for you and the choices that you've made, the circumstances that occurred. He's died for you. He's died for you because he loves you. And he says, even though you're doagged, I accept you. You're important. You matter to me. Not just back then, you still matter to me today. Doag, Jesus died for you. Accept it. Just come to him and say, yeah, I know, I doagged bad. Swallow your pride. Accept his grace and give him your shame. Your shame that started at that fateful day that lingers with you even today. And know that here on this fateful day, he offers you a renewed path off of the one of Doag that you carry here today. We're going to commune. We're going to commune because because of Doag. Not the one back then. The one here. That, that moment when Jesus gathered with his disciples and, and instituted this thing that we call communion or the Lord's Supper... Do you realize this? He was surrounded 
by Doags that day. People that were following him, trying to be on the inside, claiming to love him, who sold him out, who ran away. At the moment, it didn't look like things were going to go their way. But he died for them. And he accepted and he welcomed them. And he offered them his renewal anyway. And that's what he offers to us here today. So I'd like to invite you to rise. And if you're here today still carrying the regret or the consequences of a fateful day, if you're here struggling with the choices you made like Doag, I just want to invite you to bring them bring to Jesus these next few moments. Do what you need to do. If you need to just kind of like close your eyes, I I ask you to stand. If you need to sit back down and just give yourself some space, but I just invite you to swallow the pride, to come clean, and give it to it. Give it all to him. The choices, the actions, and the shame, give it all. Give it all right now. Let's pray. Oh, God, we're sorry. We are so sorry for those choices we've made. We're sorry for selling out. We're sorry for violating that which is right. We're sorry for when we betray. We're sorry for doing the unthinkable. To be accepted and loved by... All the while you standing there loving us beyond anything we can imagine, thinking us so important that you would die for us and dismissing it. Forgive us today. 
Thank you. Thank you for what you did for each of us and the forgiveness that you offer. Thank you that we are not relegated and stuck on a path. Oh, Lord, renew us. Set our feet on your way. Now, here, today, Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, take and eat. This is my body, given for you. He took a cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink of this, all of you, all of you. This is my blood. I shed it for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Welcome. Welcome to God's forgiveness. Welcome to God's acceptance. Welcome to his freedom, his renewal. Welcome to a new and fateful day.